Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. We are talking about Pestilence by Laura Thalassa. It is the first in the Four Horsemen series. We covered death a couple weeks back. But so this is where it all started. It is going to be an after dark episode. There will be a discussion of sex and likely some cursing. So monitor yourselves appropriately. Uh, I will be starting with our characters and then Marissa will pick up with our plot. So super easy. We've got two main characters here. We have Pestilence. He is the first of the four horsemen to arrive on Earth. He spreads a horrible plague wherever he goes. Uh, he travels the globe on his white horse which our female lead nicknames Trixie. He wears golden armor along with a gold crown on top of his blonde hair. His face is described as being angelic and proud. And of course, he's very muscular and very attractive and has glowy tattoos on his body. (laughs) Then we have Sarah. She is our main female lead. She is 21 years old and a firefighter. She has a lot of courage. She stands up to pestilence. Um, She is described as having wavy brown hair. In terms of locations, we travel. uh, It's mainly like in the U.S. and Canada area. So that's our location. Canada and the United States. Yeah. The Pacific Northwest. There you go. They mentioned the Florida Everglades at one point, too. Well, that's where that was. It all starts. Yeah, that's right. That's where it's at. Huh, you'll figure. Florida, Florida, which is hilarious, right? Uh, <laughs> is Laura the last prophetic? It would start in Florida. <laughs> it would. Yeah. All right, Marissa. All right. You... Yeah, yeah, I'll do our plot. Okay. All right. So, uh, the apocalypse started with the four horsemen riding to the four corners of the world, leaving a path of destruction in their wake. Electricity, cars, planes, all stopped working, but that was only the start. They came and then they disappeared. And then five years later, Pestilence the Conqueror, the first of the four horsemen, awakens and brings with him the messianic plague. When he passes through a town, people die, usually within three to four days. Word has traveled of his whereabouts, and that brings us to our main character, Sarah Burns, drawing the short stick amongst her group of co-workers for who will stay behind after the town has completely evacuated to try to kill pestilence and stop the plague as he, as he rides through. So, pestilence rides into town atop his noble steed, and Sarah shoots him, and he doesn't die. So she sets him on fire and it's horrible and she feels really bad about it, but she thinks he's dead. So she goes to her camp to sleep before planning to take off the next day to meet with her family. However, pestilence is most definitely not dead, which Sarah discovers the next day when he wakes her and then claims her as his prisoner. Turns out 
shooting someone and then setting them on fire makes them really salty. And so suffering is for the living and he plans to make Sarah suffer first by making her run behind his horse for a whole day. She somehow manages to keep up with his horse, but human bodies aren't meant to run behind horses for days. And so the next day her body gives out due to exhaustion and she is drugged behind the horse in agony. Pestilence stops at night to break into houses along the road and give them places to rest. And Sarah's injuries at this point require tending, which Pestilence does for her, bandaging her wrists and making sure she is fed. However, the house that they've stopped at for the night is occupied and Sarah ends up caring for the home's resident as he is dying from the plague. It's real sad. Pestilence and Sarah settle into a routine. They ride across Canada during the day with Sarah in the saddle after her most recent injuries. With Pestilence brooding and generally grumpy, reminding Sarah that she's meant to be suffering and with Sarah reciting poetry or sharing stories about herself with pestilence. At night they stop, and typically if it's in an occupied house, uh, oh, and typically if it's in an occupied house um, and the residents are dying, Sarah will end up caring for them until they pass. So she suffers. Uh, their routine changes when they reach a larger city, Vancouver, and Sarah realizes that her one-man attempt to take down the horseman is nothing in comparison to a big city where many shots are fired very quickly. And so the, thro the horseman throws Sarah off the horse and dashes away from her as the gunfire picks up to keep her from being shot to death. And Sarah begins tending to those who have been injured in the crossfire. Pestilence returns for her, scooping her up from the ground and takes off with her across the ocean to flee from the townsfolk who are shooting at him, not crossing an ocean. They're crossing a part of the ocean to get to an island. Uh, and so apparently pestilence has been shot several times and he begins to fall off the horse. Sarah is able to stabilize him and she directs the horse who she has named Trixie Skills to an island nearby where she finds a place for them to stay. She attempts to tend to pestilence's wounds as he fades in and out of consciousness, but he discourages her as his body will heal himself and so Pestilence is touched and perplexed by Sarah's attempts to care for him. And they almost share a kiss. Um, Sarah and Pestilence return to the mainland the next day. Um, on their way back to the mainland, Sarah falls off of Pestilence's horse into the ocean. And Pestilence thinks that she is trying to um, kill herself when really she just needed to vomit. And so he rescues her from the ocean and is frantic at her almost dying. And so he kisses her. Um, and then they return back to the house that they had stayed at and get dry clothes and then go back to the mainland. Uh, Sarah asks pestilence questions about his task on earth and about God. And he explains that humans have basic, basically brought the apocalypse on themselves by destroying the earth. And so their discussion gives Sarah a lot to consider. Uh, they camp outside that night and share another kiss. And then both Pestilence and Sarah are unsure how to feel about their feelings. Their attraction grows, but Sarah feels shame for being attracted to the being who is bringing mass death to humanity. And Pestilence struggles to process some of the disgusting human emotions that he feels. 
because he thinks it might be interfering with his task. And so things become even more muddled when a resident of one of the houses that they're staying at attempts to kill Sarah and Pestilence becomes very upset at the prospect of her actually being killed. They continue to travel to the United States and as they approach Seattle, Sarah's concerns about going to another big city return. However, they meet a lovely elderly couple called Robin Ruth who allow them to stay in their home and are very curious about pestilence. They quickly succumb to the plague and Sarah begins to see how hard it is for pestilence to, to perform his task. He doesn't like causing people to die. Robin Ruth are also the first example of a loving relationship that he's seen. And he realizes that his feelings for Sarah are actually very deep. And so they leave Seattle and continue traveling onward. And Sarah presses pestilence to question what he really knows about himself and what he enjoys. He shares with Sarah that she has awoken his heart and he thinks she's spectacular basically. And so that night they have sex and it is life altering for pestilence. He tries to get Sarah to marry him the next day and she refuses and it hurts his feelings. Um, he later has a better understanding for why she doesn't immediately want to marry him. They continue to travel uh, in one village. Pestilence is shot again in the head and injured and the residents of the village drag Sarah away from him, believing that they're helping her. And she's frantic with worry for pestilence. And so she steals a gun and threatens the town people while she rescues pestilence who's being buried alive. His injuries make Sarah realize that her feelings for pestilence are quite serious too. Um, but she also realizes that he will always be in danger of being attacked. And as long as she travels with him, her life will also be in danger too. This point is driven home when they are firebombed as they pass through another town. So what will happen? Will Sarah make it out of this alive? Spoilers! Read the book or continue listening uh, to find out. All right. So this so, was a, a second read for both of us, right? Third. Third? <laughs> nice. This is second read for me. Yeah. Do you remember I, when this book came out? I do. Yeah. I remember. So it was um, free on Kindle and or not in the Kindle store. This was even before I think I got Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. Um, but I remember I was debating picking it up and reading it because one of the um, reviews was like, oh, it's torture porn. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do that right now. Like, I'm not sure if I really want that. You know, like I trust Amelia Hudgens with that, but I don't know this author, Laura Thalassa, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And when I read it, I was like, this is not torture porn. I don't know <laughs> what that reviewer was talking about. Yeah. So it's not that. No, it's not. It is not that. I was so suspect of this book. Like I, I did not want to read it when I first saw it. It kept popping up on things that I might like. Amazon recommended it to me on several platforms and I was like uh I don't like the post-apocalyptic thing I was thinking of like the Hunger Games which I did not enjoy and that's just not really my jam but it had all these great reviews it's like uh, and it was free 
So I bought it and I'm so glad that I did because I ended up loving it. And now I recommend these, this, these books to tons of people. Um, I, I never thought that post-apocalyptic romance would be my jam, uh, but this makes me question everything. <laughs> I feel like I come across these books and I'm like, no, I'm not going to, not, that's not for me. And then I read it. And, Never mind. <laughs> Guess it is. Yup. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. You find a new limit with every book and you think, no, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to like that. And then you do. The only thing that I've really come across so far that's been a hard limit for me was the orc or romance. In a similar vein, it's been Naga for me, (laughs) which seems to have triggered orc romance to show up on Uh, my recommended. You're welcome. (laughs) You should read one. It was the, there was just so much bodily fluid. I just don't like it. Like semen is nourishing to them. And I just, bleh, bleh, uh. what was the I name was, of the book I that you read? Reading it and it triggered a gag reflex. I just, bleh. yeah. Um, I can't remember. Uh, let me see if I can find it on Amazon. Um, it was really popular. Because the two that popped up for me that were recommended was Tricker Orc. And on the cover, it's like an orc in a in an apron, so it's a domesticated orc, <laughs> I guess. It's the Lady and the Orc by the Finley Lady and the Orc. Yes, and maybe not all orc romances are like this, but like there was just so much semen, and it she. Uh, I mean, he really wanted to impregnate her, and that's just not really my jam and like the 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 semen made them strong like the female stronger and it nourished them and "Ah, nope so maybe not every orc romance is like this but i could not do it cannot lady in the orc lady in the orc what were the other ones that you um so the two that were trick or work and then sister wives for the orc (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) yeah see the orcs in this book don't actually look that uh, so i'm looking at the series that you just mentioned the orc wife is the first book in that series and this orc is not like an unattractive being i mean he just looks like a bra- like a gray elf basically okay i'm not bothered by that what something else that i couldn't get over in those orc books was that she kept talking about how ugly and disgusting and terrible looking the orc was but she was so attracted to his like tree trunk sized penis and I was like <laughs> this does not compute <laughs> It does not compute. We got off topic really quickly. We did. <laughs> Let's take it even further off topic. So Katie Roberts, 
in her uh, newsletter this month mm-hmm. released did i send you the orc or the krampus porn yes you did yeah. so she released a short story featuring krampus it's like an erotic short story featuring krampus because <laughs> of course what's more erotic than krampus yes and it's so i mean it's just it's so bizarre because it was really sexy but at the same time it's like he's got cloven hooves and <laughs> his tongue is two feet long and and <laughs> I don't know what to feel. <laughs> I'm scared yet aroused. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read one yeah. time, it was this book called Red, like R-E-D. Mm-hmm. It was a Little Red Riding Hood sort of thing, and it was reverse harem, but they were like they were actually wolves but alien wolves and they had like two faces so they had two noses and like four eyes and a tail and then their penises they had two penises what well they had I think it was I they had one penis but it was like there was a you know those um nesting dolls yeah it was like that but with the penis weird there is a little penis inside the bigger penis (laughs) (laughs) anyway what (laughs) if I remember there there was a big penis and a small penis and if I remember correctly they were like to get I don't what it was either inside of the other like oh my gosh okay can you imagine what a trip it must have been on day one of the apocalypse when cars stopped working and airplanes just fell out of the sky. <laughs> like, is it ironic now, Alanis? Do we find it ironic? <laughs> is this finally um, what irony means? And like all of the other electrical stuff that would suddenly stop working. Like if you were stuck in an elevator, dead. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, there's a hatch. You could probably get out of the elevator. There's got to be a way out of the elevator. Okay. So does the, uh, if like all electrical things stop working, does the elevator stop on the floor that it was at, or does it just plummet straight into the basement? Well, aren't there, I mean, there are mechanisms in place so that if it fails, it'll like, if there's a fail safe, so it catches like on the wire, some of them can't descend past a certain speed. Oh, I don't know things about elevators. Okay. So if you were in an elevator, maybe you lived. I mean, just all of the electrical, like there would be massive car pileups. She talks at one point about like this graveyard of rusted out cars um, because they all stopped working at once. What about boats? I would imagine bigger boats, like cruise ships. Those mm-hmm. probably failed. But if you have smaller boats, like a sailboat or something like that, that's not modern day too much. I mean, they had rafts and they made boats and Vikings. Well, yeah, but a lot of boats use motors, like even fishing boats. Maybe right. they have a paddle, but I don't know. A new ship. Yeah. Gosh. Anyway, apocalypse. We're not, I mean, could you? <laughs> No. Speaking of being up at like elevators and being on the top floor though of oh. the skyscraper, 
All the stairs. All of the stairs. <laughs> it would be, it would take days. <laughs> I would just, I'm just going to rest here. I'm going to take a nap. Start at 112, floor 120, take a nap halfway through. There you go. It would be like Nesta descending the 10,000 stairs from the house of wind. Just like, ah! yeah I mean that would suck too so Mm -hmm. I yeah it sounds awful yeah and they didn't completely lose all electricity though because some of the houses still had electricity and they still had stuff like the news yeah and some of it it sounds like some of it came back like it went away when they all showed up and then it kind of somewhat returned yeah that's right because all the horsemen went away and yeah. they thought, oh, it's okay. Everything's fine now. Yeah. They were tricked. It was they not were fine. Wrong. Little did they know. Mm. It is not fine. The no. plague is coming, children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Sarah killing pestilence is like, the worst death seriously it's it is awful. awful so awful and he's cooked inside of his armor that's the worst part yes like she shoots him doesn't kill him sets it like who's who jumps straight to well i'll just set him on fire obviously mm-hmm. who does that um yeah He's got his armor on and cooks. And because his body is like healing itself as he's dying, he doesn't have the pleasure of suffocating on smoke. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It's awful. Oh, and he's like trying to reach out a hand and he's saying, please. Yes. Ugh. It's so sad when he does it. And my note is, so I forget, I, I, I forgot kind of how their relationship developed even though it was my third read <laughs> but I, my note on it was how did he forgive her for this yeah <laughs> really to somebody being so cruel they set you on fire and you're begging them for help and they're just like no sorry yeah and you know when you think about where she's coming from you know okay you think that you're gonna stop you know one of the four horsemen but killing her family and this is the thing she made a real big rookie mistake here because she sets him on fire watches him like burn to death but doesn't stick around to make sure he's still dead and staying dead it takes him a long time wouldn't you be suspicious Mm -hmm. i'd be suspicious and the thing is you don't make like you don't know something's really dead. It's not really dead until you set it on fire and burned it to ashes and scattered them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Cut off the head too. You cut off the head, then you cut burn off the head and scatter it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. She just went to sleep. As she wakes up <laughs> the next day, picked up by the throat by a pissed off pestilence who's mad because you set him on fire girl understand who why these people in these books think that they're going to be able to take down one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse like why would you think they're killable yeah 
Why I'm, would you think no one has tried before? Like she's shocked when he's like, do you really think you're the first person that tried this? And she's like, oh, yeah, girl, he's a supernatural being. You think that like the thing that's going to take him out is a shotgun shell? No. No. Yeah. No. I mean, if you think about it, if you found out that four horsemen have come down or come up or wherever they came from to start the apocalypse, I would never think somebody could kill them. Yeah, it'll be fine. No, they're um, they're divine beings, right? Mm -hmm. Set to bring in the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Pew, pew. yeah <laughs> no. the audacity of man right no. there I mean, it is though it is guns will solve the problem <laughs> oh gosh yeah. nope. you know pew, pew. So these types of books have done absolutely horrible things to my sense of self-preservation because i if somebody did tell me the four horsemen were there i was like are they hot yeah I will on a scale of zero to ten how hot are they do you think they're amenable to consorts (laughs) yeah (laughs) why is pestilence the only horseman with a crown I don't know none of the other ones have crowns well death has wings well yeah so he gets wings um I don't remember what war famine had. Oh, famine scythe. had yeah. Famine had a scythe. Uh, I don't remember war. I mean, he had an army of dead people. Yeah, maybe that's his superpower—an army of the dead. Also, on the cover of famine, doesn't he have like a ringlet kind of thing over? Like a circlet. Yeah, I don't remember. Let me look. Let's look it up. Um. Okay. So, in this, our main female lead loves poetry. Mm-hmm. In fact, she even wanted to go to college to study English literature, but she did not. No, she... her father, mm-hmm. which upset me for her. Did. Yeah. I mean, is it practical to go to college for English in the apocalypse? Well, is it practical to go to college at all in the apocalypse? Is the student debt really worth it? (laughs) Because I bet there's still student debt. Don't have airplanes, but you've got student debt. (laughs) Yes. It is inescapable. Um, yeah, I still felt bad for her that like she, something she was really passionate about she couldn't pursue. Yeah, I mean it would be disappointing, but I just don't know how practical it would be to pursue an education in something like that in the midst of the plague. So. Well, reciting poetry wins her the heart of one of the horsemen. So she's reciting Poe. And I think that's so interesting because a lot of that is like dark and bleak and kind of sad. And he, I mean, <laughs> or weird, like the pit and the pendulum. That was Poe, right? 
It was I mean, I lo- yeah. I love that one, but it was dark. The Telltale Heart, uh, the, the Cast Raven. of Amontillado, The Raven. Like, these are not your feel good. This is not your feel good, like, love stories, <laughs> love poems. Um, and that's, I guess, I guess, you know, when times are dark, you go for the bleak stuff. And so <laughs> that's what wins pestilence over. Mm-hmm. He likes her talking to him which is really cute mm-hmm. it's so funny because he like at first he's all grumpy and broody and she starts talking to him anyway and then one day he does something to irritate her and so she gives him the silent treatment and then he's all pissed off he's like, why aren't you talking to me <laughs> oh man then exactly <laughs> we are going to alienate like any male listener. male listeners. That's okay. I guess. Sorry. Sorry. Women too. Gah. That's true. Yes. We're all, everyone's off. We're all garbage. That is actually one of the quotes that I have here though. You're <laughs> all. <laughs> you aren't special. None of you are. You're all vile, violent things. That's us. <laughs> Humanity, humanity at its finest <laughs> <laughs> tied it back in <laughs> we did we tied that back together look at that um yeah so we're all trash and we're all in it together mm-hmm. um so is pestilence your favorite he is. I, you know, I really thought death was going to be my favorite and he was fantastic and sweet, but there's something about pestilence. It's his mix of like innocence and his vulnerability that he has and this like sweetness and his reluctance. I, there's something about pestilence that just, my heart. Yeah, I agree. He ends up being my favorite too. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoyed them all, but of, of them and of the, the story arcs that we see, I think Pestilence's story arc becomes my favorite. Mm-hmm. He's he's so bad with human and humanity and understanding these things. Like, so at one point, you know, she I think she points out that she needs food, mm-hmm. right? And so he gives her bread and Worcester's oh, Worcester Worcester hot sauce. What Worcester is it? Sauce. Worcester. Are, is that really how you say it? Oyster sauce? Oyster. All right. Should we ask the internet how you say this? Worcestershire. This is a dumb word. Worcestershire? Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Don't pronounce that first. Worcestershire. Okay, anyway, he gives her some weird sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Worcestershire. I can't say it. I don't know what it is anymore. What is life even? I mean, Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. We're going to rewrite the narrative. He gives her a bottle of A1. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And says, this is your sustenance along with like stale bread. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she starts like tucking bread into her pockets. Like, I don't know when I'm gonna eat again. 
yeah he's real bad at humans mm-hmm. you know at one point so he's like drag so let's talk about the running first before we get to her injuries so he you know ties her to the back of his horse mm-hmm. and like gallops off like they're running it's not like the horse is just strolling or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know what the actions are for horses it's not like the horse is just like doing a little walk the horse is on the move and she's running behind it is this even a possibility at a gallop probably not how fast do horses go how fast do horses run i guarantee it's faster than what humans run at we need to ask your sister here's another moment of experimentation for her so we talked about horse sex last week sex on horses not with horses so this week it's can you run behind a horse if you've been tied to the horse texting her right now my bet is gonna be no that's not a thing because if you think about okay even if you could keep pace with the horse how many miles or kilometers is is what she measures it in in a day can a horse go if you're not an ultra marathoner are you gonna be able to run that many miles my guess would also be no. And I know that Sarah's probably in good shape. She's a first responder. But, girl, it takes some training to be able to run that far. So, I don't know how she makes it through the first day. And then, the next day, Pestilence is like, all right, we're going again. And she's like, no. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would give up. From the start, I would be like, just drag me. Drag me behind the horse. She's like, I keep up for a few kilometers. Okay. Maybe like 20 or 25, I think is what she says. And I'm like, girl, that's a marathon. Okay. Just to be clear, if I were in Sarah's shoes, I would be like, all right, I'm just done. Mm-hmm. Just drag me behind this horse. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I'll just die here because I'm not running. Yeah. I would not even try. No. I'd probably try and then trip immediately and just be like, fine. Is it better to just lay down and accept it or to try, fall, have your shoulder dislocated, your like wrists ripped apart? I mean, but that's going to happen anyway right if you fall right or if you're just like i'm just gonna go with it your shoulders are still being like pulled out of their sockets and you're getting some major major road burn maybe maybe you can prepare a little bit i don't know i feel like either way you're getting seriously injured yes yeah okay so sarah runs like forrest gump behind this this (laughs) horse and Day two, they take off. Her shoulder gets dislocated. She's injured. Pestilence tends to her tends to her wounds, leaves her completely covered in filth, but takes care of her wounds. And then at some point, I think it's in this same encounter after she cares for the person in the house that's dying, um, she tries to run away, and he shoots her in the back with arrows, and then he rips them out. Now. Mm-hmm. I'm no doctor, but I've seen enough fake doctor TV shows to know that you don't just rip arrows out of a person's body. That is not how this works, is it? 
I have seen a lot of superhero things and they do rip arrows out of their bodies <laughs> all the time. So <laughs> who do we believe? <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah. He's just, he's not good with the humans. He's not, but he's so cute. At one point he tries to eat pasta and he can't do it. Mm-hmm. And she has to show him how to eat. Yes. At one point in their journey, he just leaves her a box of uncooked pasta. Okay. <laughs> this is not a thing you can eat. Yeah. But it is cute. She like, Teaches him how to twirl it. Mm-hmm. Precious. Mm-hmm. Precious. And so she start, She tries to disinfect his wounds after he gets shot up in Vancouver. And he's like, this is suffering. Because she uses the alcohol to try to disinfect him. Oh, yeah. You're right. It is. And she gets him drunk, which is super cute, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pestilence is really cute when he I just seeing him kind of figure out human things mm-hmm. is cute. Like he's always surprised when she's cold. Yes. Like that first day when she's riding on the horse and she's like literally freezing to death. He's like, oh, mm, don't die. <laughs> yeah, but it's so cute how he's all like, don't die. You're it not is supposed cute. to die. Don't die because of the situation that I put you, put you in. And then again, <laughs> when they come back from um, that island that they stay on and they're camping in a tent and it's freezing outside and it's raining and she's cold and he gets in the tent with her and he's like, oh, you're cold. Yeah, <laughs> it's cold outside. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is the way this happens body temperature it's just he doesn't he doesn't grasp it doesn't have the firmest grasp on things with humans but it's really cute he is really cute and he ends up being sweet i forgot what a turd he was in the beginning though because in the beginning and rightfully so he is pissed off because she burned him alive and shot him in the face and i would be pissed too if i survived that um but in the beginning he's all about you know to live is to suffer so he's gonna make her suffer it's like okay man you're really taking this to the fullest extent of the 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 expression here right it could be worse. So. It could be worse. It could be better. I mean, and I true. get it. Like he wants her to suffer, but gosh, I just feel really bad for her a couple of times. When, like, so probably the worst I think that I felt for her was when she was taking care of that family. It was like a mom and two kids. No, it was a family. Yes. The dad died for it, died first. And mm-hmm. then the, the mom and the kids died and the little girl died last. Like, Oh yeah. That was really hard. That one was hurtful. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry. And I feel like he intentionally leaves them in these houses so that she'll have to experience the suffering that these people are feeling. So, yes, but she also mentions it's mentioned at one point he leaves because he doesn't want to be there either. 
Mm-hmm. He just yeah. doesn't take her with him. Yeah. So then what is he doing? Is, is he going out, like, infecting more people and just coming back and picking her up? He's just going out for a ride on Trixie. Just taking Trixie for a ride. Mm-hmm. Just enjoying Canada, you know. It's supposed to be very pretty, so. Never been. I would love to know. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, yeah. So, um, yeah, it is mentioned that he doesn't like to be around for the dying, but he does leave Sarah behind to tend to the people who are dying, which makes me think he does it so that she will have to suffer their deaths, Probably. which is hurtful. Um, I got frustrated with her it was so obvious every time she would say please he would deny her and it seemed like it took her a while to catch on to that yeah she kept saying please and I'd be like Sarah no don't she's just being polite Vicky (laughs) she only pulls it out a couple of times to intentionally make him not do something like a kiss I think he's trying he's about to kiss her or something and she's like please and he's like So oh, she said, she, please, I won't do it. See, I thought she was saying, please, isn't like, please kiss me. Not saying it to say no to him. So I do think that there were, uh, there was um, one situation, I think, where she did it intentionally to break the moment. Now, there were some other situations where she did it unintentionally. And at that point, I think that they had progressed beyond like, stop, like he was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. later on in the book yeah but I'm pretty sure there was one moment specifically where she said please to try to break the like moment of intimacy because she knew it would be a turn off or he would do the opposite mm. okay I mean okay how hard would it be for you to though like to not say please for something It'd be harder for me not to say sorry about things. Oh, do you say sorry about lots of things? All the time. I basically talk and then go sorry. Yeah, you do that when we talk sometimes too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it would be harder for me not to say please. Or thank you. It's those manners that are drilled into us Southern folk. (laughs) Please and thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yep, not drilled into us northerners. (laughs) (laughs) You rude New Jerseyans. (laughs) Uncouth and you have no manners. (laughs) So their progression from like kind of hating each other to kind of loving each other is really cute Mm -hmm. I like that it's not like an instant attraction thing also that I just we just talked about this but I just read a book where it was like instant attraction and I was like nope I like the enemies to lovers trope and we get plenty of that here and I enjoy that they're both solid enemies to both of each other like instead, you know, like sometimes it's once really one-sided, like the girl is raw, really mm-hmm. against the guy, but in this kind of like he, he's mad at her, she's mad at him, they're both enemies and they both have to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Big fan of that. Yeah. And so here's what I like. 
there's they remain enemies despite the growing attraction like she's mm-hmm. still super opposed to everything that he stands for and she is still super against changing mm-hmm. and so I like the conflict that that adds to their relationship because now both of them are attracted to each other and they don't know what to do with these feelings I really like towards the end where they break up basically because mm-hmm. he's like but you love me and she says that's not enough mm-hmm. to overcome all this and I really like that because yeah. sometimes love isn't enough to overcome fundamental um conflicts that you may have with your significant other mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I mean you can love your partner and still acknowledge that you need more than that to be successful and supported in your relationship it takes more than just love to make a relationship to work mm-hmm. I think that's really hard for pestilence because his knowledge of humanity is so limited and his exposure to like a loving relationship is really only limited to Rob and Ruth when they who they meet in Seattle and his interactions with Sarah he doesn't know what a loving relationship it is he doesn't know what it takes to make a relationship work and so i mean for the very limited amount of knowledge that he has i think he does pretty well he's so curious about it too so he asks after they meet ruth and bob right or rob um he asks about soulmates and the distinction, you know, mm-hmm. um, because he wants to know. And then he th- he tells her or he mentions or something that he says that um, wants to know what's between them. He asks if it's love and she's like, no, it's just lust. Like, hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he doesn't and he, like that answer. No, he says, this is not lust. I feel dear Sarah. And I hope that you are half as frightened as I am. Oh. Mm-hmm. feelings uh-huh. are scary sometimes mm-hmm. so we see him struggling with understanding his feelings which is definitely a very real human moment because I mean don't we all struggle I think that's a generalization but I feel like most people have had the experience of struggling with some of their feelings before he really at he says to her, I cannot decide if you are a toxin or a tonic, only that you plague my thoughts and fill my veins. Ugh. He's so sweet. That whole, I highlighted, it was a whole page and a half that I highlighted <laughs> of the scene where he doesn't sneak, but he comes into her room when he thinks she's sleeping and he sits on the uh, floor by the bed and tells her all of his feelings he says I come to you like a thief in the night to tell you words that I think um that I don't think you'll let me say during the light of day and he confesses all of his feelings to her and I'm not gonna read all of it because it's literally a page and a half um that I highlighted but it's really sweet it's so sweet um, it is this, I find you beautiful dear Sarah so beautiful but it's such a sharp scathing beauty like the edge of my arrowheads because I remember you are not like me one day you will die and I'm growing anxious of that fact 
Never in my long existence have I felt this way. Not until I came to your world in this form could I feel. And before I met you, even that was limited to the vitriol that burned thick in my belly. It was not until I met you, hated though you were, that I understood the meaning of God's words of mercy. Aww. He's just real sweet. He is. Um, he kisses her for the first time right after he thinks that she's trying to kill herself. So they're riding across the sound whatever this body of water is I can't remember what it's called it's some kind of sound and she's got a vomit and because mm-hmm. she's hung over <laughs> and so she like falls off the horse and he thinks she's trying to die and so Pat like impassioned very worried about her he kisses her on the beach right after she has vomited all of the seawater and pancakes. And it's like, oh, this is sweet, but it's disgusting. Yeah. Ugh. That yeah. was, that detracted a little bit for me. Same here. But it's mm. also how, like, scared he was for her. Yes. He gets wrapped up in it. Yes. And, and that's sweet, too. But I was just thinking, gosh, her breath has got to be so bad. I do. I am surprised that she let him kiss her like that. Like if somebody went to kiss me after I threw up, I'd be like, what are you doing? No. Get away from me. (laughs) Now's not a good time. I need to brush my teeth. (laughs) But it was really sweet. Their second kiss is is better. And it is, it is really sweet too. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a moment when so he is sort of easing into some of these like human interactions and affection with Sarah being one of them and there's a moment when they're staying at this hateful man's house his name's big I think Mm -hmm. he's the worst I don't understand why they were at his house for so many days they stay at Nick's house and he catches pestilence being like sweet and affectionate to Sarah and mm-hmm. is really hateful. And pestilence has this like fate, like confused face. Like, have I done something wrong? And my heart. Yes. I, I highlighted and made a note about that too, because oh, my heart, like, I think he comes up and he like kisses her on the neck. Yeah. I mean, and... it's just really sweet, gentle affection. Yeah. And then he's scared that he did something wrong. And it's just, it's such a human thing that he did too. Like you just come over and you want to put your hands and show affection to your significant other. You know, a lot of times you just touch them without thinking like these casual touches and he thinks he did something wrong. And I was like, the vulnerability that pestilence has. Yes. And that's part of what I really like about him. And I feel like Mm -hmm. we don't see that with maybe like famine, for example, we don't see a whole lot of Philip. I don't know if we're planning to talk about all of these other ones, but I don't remember seeing a whole lot of vulnerability with famine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't either. Pestilence is just very kind and thoughtful and sweet. Mm -hmm. And I love these little interactions that he has with Sarah is precious 
It is. So something else that was a little bit different from this book relative to the others is we don't, so death comes, Thanatos comes on his black, beautiful wings for Sarah. And she basically asks him not to take her. She wants to go back to Pestilence. Mm-hmm. But we don't really get an interaction with Pestilence and Death, Thanatos. And I think that's different from the other ones. I yeah, guess def- yeah. Spoilers, maybe, but you definitely get that in Famine. You get it in War, and too. You get it in War, too, mm-hmm. between the horsemen featured in the story and Thanatos. So that was something that was a little bit different too. And I remember after reading this book the first time thinking, okay, so what does that mean for pestilence? Does he still have his magic powers? Is he immortal still? What are, what's the rules now? And we find out in the later books that he gave up his immortality and he gave up his purpose. So he did become human. But it isn't clearly stated in this. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Um, but that's that's something that's a little bit different from the other books. Mm-hmm. Mild spoilers, I guess, mm. for the rest of the series. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Um, Sarah almost dies a whole lot in this book. Yeah, she does. She gets injured a whole lot. I would say probably next to Lazarus and death. And she dies in spoilers, I guess, for death. She gets injured. Lots of bad things happen to Lazarus in death. I would say Sarah's probably second in terms of our ranking for bad things that happen to these females because she almost dies, I don't know, probably at least eight times in this book. This book hits a bit differently now that we're in the middle of a pandemic for the past two years. There's a part where she says, all those centuries we spent studying illnesses and conquering them, surely we were equipped by now to stop a, an epidemic. We were not. And it's not we even were not. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it's not even a, you know, pandemic from God. This is just your regular old <laughs> pandemic. This is just your garden variety pandemic here. Yeah. So it's a bit differently. Yeah, it does. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Um, Their first time having sex. Do you want to talk about it? Boy, Mm -hmm. I do. First of all, it was really sweet. Okay. He's like, I'm a part of you. I'm inside of you. His, I mean, it's like life altering for him. It was so sweet. Mm -hmm. I just... Oh gosh. I know the so, whole there was so much like vulnerability and intimacy that was happening. He says, 
I've wanted to be this close to you, close enough to feel your heart beating against my skin. Like, ah, my yes. heart. Yes. I know when he says, oh my God, I'm like, well, not, oh my God, but he goes, I'm a part of you. I'm inside of you. I was like, oh, that line, there's something about it. She's like, oh, yes. yeah. There's something about his vulnerability and his like shock and awe about how like amazing sex is. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> how close it allows away. him to be to Sarah. Yeah. It's, oh, adorable. So the scene was hot, but I liked the intimacy between them and his vulnerability more than I enjoyed like the actual sexy part. I agree. Oh gosh. It was just precious. And then I just love what he does. mm -hmm, Yeah. The next day he takes her to a church and is like, (laughs) let's get married. (laughs) She's like, um, no, what? Um, what had you said? It cracked me up. It was yeah. just, and it's so like, it's so pure though at the same I time. I mean, it's really sweet. He, he's like, you gave yourself wholly and completely to me. And I want to show you my commitment. Like it's very, it's thoughtful. It's sweet. Mm-hmm. And then she acts as if it's nothing. And he's so hurt. Yeah. We go from like really sweet to slut shaming in two seconds. Cause he's like, is nothing sacred? Yeah. He's like, have you had sex with other people? She's like, yes. And he says, of course you have. <laughs> Why I expected any better of you is a testament to my cursed idealism. <laughs> okay, dude. She uh, even knowing you for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Calm down. Um, yeah. I mean, but it is really, I hit, uh, he, they go, so he, he's trying to do it like in order. So they go to like, it's like they do sex and then he wants to get married. And then he's like, so what do you think about kids? And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, what are you, do- what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, <laughs> they don't think about it at all well he does clearly because he's the one who brings it up he's like so we've had sex unprotected now how what are your feelings towards kids and she her reaction is oh right i can get pregnant (laughs) how did you forget (laughs) (laughs) oh but she asks him too what do you think about kids and he says he finds the idea thrilling which is sweet It is. He is daddy material. My ovaries are over here, like just vibrating with joy. Mm -hmm. And we get that again in death. He's got that vibe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Pestilence is like daddy vibes. 100%. Like not like I, so I want to retract that statement. Like he's a dad vibe, not like, yes, daddy vibes. It's like, this man is going to take care of your kids. He's going to cook you breakfast on Sundays. That is this man. Yes. There is one point too where he brings her breakfast in bed. And she thinks, where did he get this? Because the place <laughs> that they definitely didn't have eggs. And then she starts thinking, did he make somebody cook this for me? Because I don't think he knows how to cook either. <laughs> 
He's just so sweet. Duh. Ugh. And then he's really hurt when Sarah rejects rejects his idea of getting married. Well, they make a really big deal of like a love making versus like just straight up having sex. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so in- like the the phrase love making is really bothersome to me. Why? Because it makes me think of old people having sex. Hmm. Like I associate love making with old people or my parents, maybe that might actually be why I'm bothered by it. Mm. I don't know. Is that what you call it? No, I do not call it that. Um, but it doesn't bother me. So Pestilence gets shot again right after they go to the church and she feels, Sarah feels bad because she rejected his proposal and then he gets shot in the head and these people rush out and they think that they're helping her. And I like this moment for her because she starts to realize some of her feelings about pestilence. Cause up to this point, she's been kind of in denial or trying to brush it off. So it's like, she's minimizing his feelings in the scene before this by saying like, no, we didn't, it, we didn't make love. We were just having sex and I've had sex with other people and this is not a big deal. And it's kind of the same way when they share some of their like other sweet moments, like when they kiss, maybe um, she's like, you know, this is just lust. This is not what being in love is. And this, I think is one of those situations. I don't know if we see this, we might see this and then just the books that we read where the man is more comfortable. The male character is more comfortable being like emotionally vulnerable than the female mm-hmm. character. And so this moment makes Sarah realize, oh, wait, I do have feelings for you. I would be uncomfortable if you had died. You getting shot is hurtful to me. Mm -hmm. And I can see how that would be a hard emotion for her to process. It would be hard to process being attracted or in love with the being that was bringing about destruction to humanity, right? You would feel guilty about that. Probably. Yes. We're all garbage, Mm -hmm. but we're all garbage together. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you know, mass killing is inherently bad. So there's that too. We have these moral hangups when in situations like that. And so I can see how it's hard for her to accept feelings like that. Also, because he's so adamant about how he's not going to change or stray from his mission. Right. But he does. Eventually. Eventually. He, his exposure to healthy expressions of love is very limited. Mm -hmm. And so to him, this is a sensation, like he's powerless in this sensation, in in this situation. And that's probably not a situation that he's really been put in before, right? 
where he has no control over what's happening. He knows that even if people attack him, he's going to regenerate. It's going to suck and he's going to be in pain, but he's coming back to life. This is the first situation that he's really been put in where he has no control over the situation. And the person that he's died that he loves, which he's also never experienced before is dying. So is it a healthy way to express love by killing all of the people that won't help you? Mm, no but it's how he knows how to express love. Yes, it's how he knows how. And I mean, our supernatural being is just doing the best he can here, okay? (laughs) He's just, he's doing the best he can with what he knows how to do. So, I mean, if you're, if you're boothing, if your lover was mortally wounded and you drug them to a hospital and you got medical personnel to help you or to try to help you and they said, no, I hope she dies and I hope you suffer. How would you feel? Awful. Pretty bad. Yes. So. It's not healthy. But I was, so when this happened, like I wasn't super upset about it. I was like, yeah, you show them people. Now he did go ahead and uh, plague the people who helped him. And I think we, we could have done better in that situation. Mm-hmm. So when these hateful people were like, I hope she suffers. I was like, well, I hope you suffer. Um, but when Sarah wakes up and is not dead and is like, what happened to the people that helped me? And he was like, I plagued them. And she was like, really? i'm just doing my job like okay those people maybe deserved a little bit better um i do think it's interesting so this book starts out with a shotgun and a flaming corpse and it ends well it doesn't end but near the end of it we get that too so (laughs) they get to this um this town that gets and they get firebombed basically in the street and pestilence is just like a mingled body the horn is all the horse is all blown up too and what's her name sarah she's incapacitated basically and these awful people i imagined them as like sons of anarchy that's immediately like my there it mentions they're wearing like leather and camo and i know that's not really a sons of anarchy thing but my mind immediately went to like motorcycle club okay (laughs) um i don't know why i don't know why Uh, but it did. And so I was like, all right, these people, they're all wearing bandanas, um, motorcycle club. They're really hateful people. And they just casually mentioned raping Sarah. Okay. Not great. Um, the leader, I want to say his name is Mitch. I can't remember. We'll call him Mitch. He pushes Sarah into the street and he's like, walk. And then he kicks her down a few times because he's a dirt bag. Um, and then to make pestilence suffer, which is hurtful to me, uh, to make pestilence suffer, he shoots Sarah in the chest with a shotgun. So we get our shotgun back and then they set pestilence on fire and they burn him at the telephone pole. So we're back to shotguns and flaming bodies. And it just brings us into this lovely full circle moment. <laughs> that scene is awful. Sarah is dying. She's hanging on to consciousness. 
the pestilence is just like a charred heap of flesh and she can hear him moaning for her dragging his poor uh, ashy destroyed body across the ground to her i know and he's saying her name you know sarah Sarah, oh, my heart. It's so sad and awful. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Of course, I don't really understand how I, it's like pestilence didn't anticipate this being a possibility where Sarah would possibly die if he continued on his mission with her. I don't know. I feel like he was underprepared for situations like this. Yes. He didn't think everything through. No. Because he was like, I'm going to make sure you're going to, like, nobody's going to kill you. You'll be fine. If you're, as long as you're with me, you'll survive. And no, he can't. This shows him that he cannot protect her like that. No. No. Um. So... When he brings her home from the hospital, basically, he takes her to this mansion and does this like uh, playing nurse thing to her. So he nurses her back to health and she's not thrilled with how things are going out in the world because she finds out that he's still infecting people with the plague. Mm -hmm. She's not cool with it. And so she's like, all right, I'm just going to leave. Not great planning. It's been like a week. I mean, she just got shot in the chest. It's been a week, two weeks, and she's getting up and she's like, I'm mad. I'm just going to leave. Um, so not, not the best planning in that situation, but she does get up because she finds out that that pestilence is still infecting people. And he freaks out in response to her trying to leave and so he locks her in the the room that she's been staying in boards up the windows and the doors locks her in just like gives her food and then scurries away it reminded me of tamlin a little bit in mist and fury yes yeah i agree i can see that um but there's no communication i mean so with tamlin and Feyre, there was a bit of communication they still talk to each other and saw each other and mm-hmm. like had sex and in this it's it makes me think more of a prison cell or something where he just slips uh, the food through a slat or something yeah um yeah yeah so we see that that sort of inexperience with human emotion or relationships Mm -hmm. and what's considered normal and okay and safe in a relationship come through especially in this situation where he is literally holding her captive yeah and then also the difference between keeping somebody close to you physically and also like keeping them close to you emotionally you know he can hold on to her and keep her in a physical space right by him but he can't make her forgive him or love him right and he realizes that Yes. It just takes him a week mm-hmm. of this captive thing to figure it out. And yeah. he sets her free. And he's real sad. 
Yeah. And then he sets her free and she's just like, bye. Um, that's not exactly how it goes. But she looks back. It's really sad because she looks back and she sees him like straighten or brighten or something. And she realizes he thinks that maybe she's changing her mind. And yeah. then she goes, and I just feel bad for pestilence. But you know, oh my gosh, I just had the mental image of like when you're leaving your pet. your dog. Yes. Oh my gosh, yep. and it made it way sadder. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. My babies. Um. So she goes. She basically kind of returns to her normal life eventually, right? And she finds her family, but she didn't realize that he stopped the plague. Um, and he made everyone healthy again anyone who had the plague at the time when um, they survived it and this actually happened while she was still held captive with him but he didn't say anything to her so then she finds out from this guy and I just in my head I assume it's a fishing shop I realize that it's I don't think it's ever described as a fishing shop but in my mind yeah, that's what I see. Stare. Um. So from that, and she's like, and now he's gone, and I don't know how to find him. So we're just gonna go on foot, and then he shows up on her doorstep. Oh, but and it's sweet. It is real sweet. It's precious. He's like, my name's Victor now. Please, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to be called the whole through this whole book. She's explained to him the importance of names and how uh, names give things like value names are important he's like you humans you just want to name everything and she names his horse Trixie skills and he's super insulted by that whatever um but so it's a big deal for him to show up and be like I don't want to be pestilence anymore Uh, that's not who I am I want to be Victor which I think is an indicator for how much he's grown from the start of the book to, to where he ends up. I agree. Um, because he does, I mean, through all of the book up until the end where he's like, I go by Victor now. He, one of the reasons he rejects names so much is because he doesn't see himself as human at all or a man or anything. He sees himself as being in like just this form Mm -hmm. of a man. So even though he's having human emotions, it's sort of like, I guess maybe some sort of like dissociative identity almost. Oh yeah. Um, Where he sees, you know, in his head, he's just pestilence. But he's been he's in this form and now he's experiencing all these human things too um so he finally kind of embraces everything yeah except embraces humanity mm-hmm. yep for the woman he loves mm-hmm. heart eyes i do think it's hysterical that she names his horse Trixie Skills. Mm-hmm. Trixie Skills, who was turning tricks on the streets for carrots until she was rescued by pestilence. 
she gives it a back his backstory and it has a backstory and he is so insulted he's like my horse is not Trixie she is no he is noble it's a boy not Trixie he's a noble steed he is loyal (laughs) I love that it was just it was great it makes me think of Gollum Trixie Yeah. So do you think you would classify Sarah's situation here as Stockholm syndrome at all? Yeah, I I don't know. Do you? Aren't all of these a little bit Stockholm syndrome-y? They are. I I think... mm, I feel like her and wars, I don't remember the person who the female lead's name in the war is, but they have the most Stockholm syndrome because they really can't go anywhere. Yeah. Ever. I feel like with famine, she was able to, and then in death, you know, she spent most of the book off on her own, just playing cat and mouse. Yeah. In both books. In both famine and death, I want to say the female lead pursued the horseman. Definitely in death. Yeah. I want to say in famine too, because she climbs out of the pit Mm -hmm. and then goes looking for him. Yeah. Okay. So there are four key components that characterize Stockholm syndrome. Okay. The hostage develops positive feelings towards the captor. Check. There was no previous relationship between the hostage and the captor. Check. A refusal by hostages to cooperate with police forces and other government authorities. Check. Do we have that? I. What government authorities? So there wouldn't be a government authority. Right. There's not anyone saying like, give Sarah back. Right. So there's not, you know, there's that doesn't this, apply. It doesn't apply here. And then not applicable. The hostages. Oh, wait, no. Um, so there is that one town where pestilence gets shot, and then people are like, We're saving you. And Sarah's like, No. I don't want to be saved. Mm-hmm. Does that apply in this situation? I don't know. A hostage's belief. In the humanity of the captor, <laughs> ceasing to perceive them as a threat when the victim holds the same values as the aggressor. So, hmm. but he's not a threat anymore. So, why would she perceive him as a threat? You know? Okay, but he is a threat right up until the very end. To her, not to her. Well, not to her, to humanity. Oh, okay. I see the difference. Yeah. Okay. So she feels safe with him. I I don't know. I mean, she is safe with him. He develops positive feelings towards her. Maybe this is where it becomes different too, because I want to say that possibly... Maybe the captors are not the ones that 
um, the captor may not develop positive feelings toward the hostage. All right, let's talk about our quotes. Yes. So part of Pestilence's nighttime confession to Sarah in Robin Ruth's house for his feelings is just really sweet. He says, when you ignore me, I burn with restlessness. It feels as though the sun has turned its back on the world. And when you smile at me, when you gaze at me, like you can see my soul, I feel, I feel like I am lit on fire. Like you have been called by God to raise my world. Oh man. This has just been a whole bunch of us saying about like talking about how sweet pestilence <laughs> is, like the words. Mm-hmm. If someone said this to me, I might like actually die. I don't know. It's just so good. That speech that he gives to her is so, so sweet because I have more of it too sorry you could just read the whole page like i know it's so good um so it says when we ride together and i hold you i feel as though all is right and when you laugh i think i might truly die this is an agonizing sort of pleasure and it's ever so perplexing i don't understand how pain and affection can coexist alongside one another I mean, it's just so pure because yeah. we know he's never experienced something like this before. We know this is new for him. We know that these feelings and because he, he I mean, pestilence is without artifice. He has no like human motivations to sugarcoat or to hide his feelings or things like that. And so we know this is coming straight from his heart. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, it's just so good. It is. Final thoughts on this book? Oh, it was a delight to read the second time around. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to jump. I, you know, We talked about this when we did death, but I would like to read the other ones now too can't remember all the stuff that happened pestilence remains my favorite mm-hmm. i like I wanna, the other horsemen pestilence remains my favorite same i want to reread famine war it was good just out of the three or out of the three out of the four it's the one i'm least interested in rereading it was still good yeah um but the other ones yeah yeah pestilence is just a joy <laughs> it is He's so, I mean, it's, he's just so pure. He's like a, a golden retriever, you know? Mm-hmm. And she leaves him on the doorstep when she goes. She does. <laughs> and it's tragic. <laughs> oh, you just want to hug him. I, I mean, I really do. Mm-hmm. All righty. Oh, well, that wraps up Pestilence. Uh, by Laura Thalassa. Uh, next week, we will be discussing King of Battle and Blood by Scarlett St. Clair. It's her newest release. I believe this is a vampire romance. 
I have not looked at it at all yet. I want to say there might be vampires involved. Could be I'm completely done. wrong. I I think there are roses on the cover of the book. It's a pretty book. I don't know what it's about. I want to say vampires. I'm not really sure. Cool. So whatever that means and whatever it's going to be, we hope you join us for that. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.